guys sound tired. You guys, anybody do any Halloween, uh, you know, trick-or-treating with your kids? Anybody do that this weekend? Yeah? I wanted to show you, you might have saw it in the beginning, uh, but this is my daughter, Hannah. Look at her. She's a, she's a little, you know what, every time I come up here, I'm just, you got to expect that I'm going to show a picture of my daughter. She's about uh, three months old right now, but she was a little kitty cat, and um, she's beautiful. I love her. I like looking at her because it makes, it, it calms my nerves a little bit, so I just wanted to show you a picture. Um, but it's so great. I'm so excited uh, to be here. I hope that, you know, you had an interesting or at least a, a good Halloween, and uh, it rained that night, which I don't know about you, I love the rain. Does anybody love the rain in here? Yeah, we love the rain. And, um, you know, God knows we definitely needed that, right? I mean, we're going through a serious drought here in California, but I really feel like the Spirit is telling me this morning that, you know, some of us are going through a drought in our lives. And uh, you've come to the right place to hear the Word of God, to move in your heart. And so I want to begin, before I do anything else, I just want to pray this morning. Would you bow your heads with me and pray? God, thank you. Thank you that we could be here. And uh, God, we need you. Just like I love the rain and, and, and to wake up and to see everything just almost like washed off and clean. Uh, and that is what your grace does. That's what your mercy does. Every day we wake up is, is because of your grace. It's because of your mercy, Father. And I just pray that right now we would set our hearts on you. Whatever distract, distractions are in our mind or in our hearts, I pray that we would let them go. God, that your spirit would speak to us, that you would show yourself in a powerful way today. God, you know I need you to give this message. Please be with me. Give me your words. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, today uh, we're being closing out a series called Prepared. And my prayer this whole week has been that God would really move your heart this morning. And the big idea over the last few weeks of this series uh, has been that no matter who you are, no matter who you are, whether you are young or you're on the more mature side of life, uh, whether you've been a Christian for a long time or you've been a Christian for a little amount of time, the reality is that we all have opportunities to answer questions about our faith. The reality is that we all have opportunities to answer questions about what we believe. Like people say stuff to us like, hey, like, why do you go to church every Sunday? Like, why do you wake up at 8 in the morning and you got kids and you got to get them ready? Like, why do you do that on a weekly basis? Like, what's the point? Why do you go to church? Or maybe they say, hey, you know, why do you do that and, and you don't do this? Or teens, maybe they say, why don't you go into the parties on the weekends? Why don't you do that? Or, you know, why do you read your Bible? Why do you do that? You know, maybe we get asked those questions and uh, they're so many questions that you and I get asked just because of the fact that maybe you and I are Christians. And uh, one of the most frustrating things I believe for many of us is the simple fact that we get asked questions that we're not really prepared to answer. And, and when that happens, I think one of three things happens, okay? I think that you fall into uh, one of three uh, different categories. Number one, many of us, we try to avoid the question, right? You know what I mean. Right? Somebody comes up to you and you're like, hey, what, 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 is, what is that about a communion? And you're like, oh, um, look over there. And then you just run the other way, right? Like that's maybe what you do. And it's, you know, you, like, you pretty much do everything in your power to avoid the subject and dodge the question. And it's not like you don't want to answer the question. I mean, you really want to, right? But you just don't know how to answer it. And so you end up doing everything you can to get out of that situation. Maybe that's you. Maybe you try to 
avoid the question. Or maybe you're the kind of person where you complicate it. Maybe that's you. You know, there's, there's some of us that we actually, you know, we give it a shot. Like we really try to answer the question, but we find ourselves complicating it to death, right? Like for some of you, you start to answer the question, and in your mind, you're ready to blow the other person's mind. You're like, I have the perfect response, and it's going to change your life. And when it comes out of your mouth, you're like, and then, you know, like the blood of Jesus and the cross of Easter, and then you're like, and all of a sudden you start to think, oh my gosh, I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. And, uh, and afterwards you beat yourself up because you're thinking, I just did the worst job ever answering that question. You feel so bad because there's a part of you that can't help but feel like there was an opportunity wasted. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're in the third category. Maybe, you know, some of us get so combative and, you know, we're in that situation and we argue it. We argue about it. And you know, some of us, we get asked questions about our, fa- our faith, and we immediately go into battle mode. We're like, let's go, right? You want to talk about faith? Let's, let's talk about our faith. And we get a little too fired up, right? We get a little too fired up, and as a result, we get into an argument. And at the end of the day, we're probably thinking, man, you know what? If I'm really honest, you know, I think I did more damage than I did good. And so it's pretty frustrating uh, of a position to be in as a Christian to have a question that, you know, you're not really prepared to answer. And here's the thing, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I think you understand that frustration as well because when you're on the other side, you know, when you're the one asking the question, there's nothing more frustrating than asking a completely legitimate question to a friend who is a Christian and then listen to them to either avoid it, complicate it, or argue with you about it. And, uh, and they end up not really even answering your question. You're not really getting what you're looking for in the first place. So we wanted to take three weeks and actually try to get you ready to be prepared for talking about our faith. And uh, last week we handed out some cards. And so uh, our ushers are going to come down. If you uh, didn't get a card, you can raise your hand and they'll, they'll come bring you one uh, right now. But um, we wanted to take three weeks and actually try to get ready and be prepared about talking about our faith. And we saw from the last two weeks that God asks every one of us to to really do one simple thing, and it's found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Look what Peter says. He says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Can I get an amen? amen? But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. In other words, no matter who you are, God wants you to always be prepared to give an answer to why you follow Jesus. Why you follow Jesus. Like you personally. God's not asking you to answer every question about evolution or about dinosaurs or about every church tradition that exists. Okay? No, no, no. He's just saying, I want you to always be prepared to tell people one thing. One thing. And whenever people ask you questions, we want you to take those questions And go back to one simple question, and that question is this. Why do you personally believe in and follow Jesus? Like you as an individual. Why did you follow, like when when you made that decision, why did you make that decision? Why are you following Jesus today? And the phrase we gave you to respond to that question was this. I believe 
Jesus died for my sin and rose from the dead, but I don't believe it just because the Bible says so. Uh uh. It's way better than that. I believe it because Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Peter, and James, the brother of Jesus, they said so. These were real men that died for Jesus. And the truth is, no one in this room would die for something that is false. You wouldn't give your life for a lie. You wouldn't do that. They didn't die rich. They didn't die famous. They died as martyrs claiming to the very end that Jesus rose from the dead. Isn't that awesome? Now today we're going to jump into what I believe is the most difficult subject when it comes to having something to say. And that has to do with the problem of pain. The problem of pain. Because the problem of pain is the most common emotional pushback to Christianity. And in some ways, it's the most powerful way to resist the idea of a good God. But before we jump into today's message, I just want to make it clear, really clear, who today's message is not for, okay? If you're here today and you're really wrestling with something that's bad going on in your life, or has maybe happened in your life, in fact, it's so bad that you're having a hard time maintaining faith in God, today's message is not for you not for you. And if you have a friend that is going through a very hard time believing that God loves them or that there is maybe even a God because of how bad things are right now in their life, today's message is not for them either. But if you fall into that category or if a friend of yours falls into that category, I want to highly, just really quick before I move forward, I want to recommend a book to you. It's called A Grace Disguised. A Grace Disguised by Jerry uh, Sitzer. It's one of the most powerful books for people going through a hard time in their life. And and so if you're sincerely asking the question, how can I really uh, keep faith in God and deal with hard times, then you need to read this book because it's all about this guy's story. He lost his whole family in one car crash. And it was his story of working through that tragedy and, and, and reconciling his relationship with God. And so if you're going through something like that, I want to really recommend this book for you to read. It's going to be, it would be an amazing book for you to read. So today's message is one of those, uh, uh, or the, for those of us who run into people who, who just say things to you like, you know, well, I don't believe in God because there's so many bad things in the world. Let's change the subject and move on. Or they say, well, I used to be a church person, right? But I've seen so many bad things that there's no way I could believe in a good God. Let's change the subject. Today's message is to prepare you For those moments when people who are not currently wrestling with this have built up a defense for God. And this is so important. I cannot stress this enough. Did you know right now there are people who are outside of the experience of God's grace and mercy. Because of something that happened to them a long time ago that they were never able to work through. And so the easiest way to push God away is to throw out this huge blanket statement, well, I can't believe in a God that is supposedly good because look at all the pain and suffering in the world. So it's very important that we are prepared to give a response to that and not to argue and not to win an argument. Jesus said, it's by the way you love one another that people are going to know 
that you are a follower of Jesus. They're going to look at the way you treat people. They're going to look at the way you talk to people by the way you live your life. And they're going to look at you and they're going, man, there's something about that guy. I want to be just like him. So this isn't an argument. And we, can, and we need to be prepared, but I hope our lives, more than anything else, are the things that speak more loudly than anything else. This is not an argument, but it's also really important for the world to know that Christians have thought about this subject. This is not new information. It's not. It's not uh, new information. So I want to just give you two simple statements as a way to respond to people who dismiss God because of pain and suffering so that, you know, they know you have thought about it. And if they're really genuinely interested, there is an answer for them. Now, the first one is really simple, and the second little answer that I have for you is, is a bit more interesting, and we're going to spend some more time on that. But uh, here's the first uh, response. It's very simple. And when the subject of why does, you know, why, how could I, a good God exist if there's so much bad happening in the world? If that comes up, here's what I want to encourage you to say. Response number one, have you ever read anything on that topic? Have you ever read anything on that topic? That's it. Well, you know, and you know, I can't believe, hey, I know it's hard to understand. I know it's hard to reconcile a good God in, the evil world, in an evil world, but let me ask you a quick question. Have you ever read anything on that topic? That's it. That's all you say. You don't even have to give them anything to, to read. You just ask them, have you ever read anything on that topic? Now, here's why that's a good response, because what this says is that you're not the first person to struggle with this issue. You're not the first person to wrestle with this. Hey, I just want you to know this is such a big deal that you're not the first person to, to really be challenged by this topic. In fact, there have been so many people who have struggled with how to reconcile pain and suffering in the world that entire books have been written about it. So if you're really genuinely interested in moving past this obstacle, there are things you can read. I'm just curious. Have you ever read anything on this topic? No. Okay. All right. You don't have to offer them anything to read. You just ask them that question. And, they, and, and, and if they say no, then you don't have to say anything else until they ask you for something and now you have a conversation. It's a conversation. Look, we're not trying to coerce anybody to follow Jesus. When we do that, we are, we are doing the wrong thing, okay? It's not about coercing anybody Okay, this is about leaving that door open, and when they're ready to talk about it, you're going to be the first person that they're going to talk to because they go, man, that guy, he's, there's something about him. He loves people, and I'm going to talk to him about this. Amen? So that's one simple way to respond to this question. Now, the second response, I think, is a little more interesting and will probably create more conversation with the person you're talking to. And to be honest, it's convicting. You're going to see this right now. Um, but really, I hope our hearts, more than anything else, is to really just really connect with them, okay? More than anything else, to connect with that person. You ready? Here we go. The second response. If you could, would you remove everything bad from the world right now? If you could, would you remove everything bad from the world right now? Hey, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, there's so many bad things that happen in, in, every day in the world. But let me ask you a question. If you could, would you remove everything bad from the world 
right now. In other words, if you could just push a button and suddenly everything bad in the world would go away, would you press it? Would you press that? And before you answer that question, let me ask you another question. Have you ever done anything bad? It's not like an aha. It's just more like, have you ever done anything bad? Before you push it, have your children ever done anything bad? Let me ask you this, this way. Do you think your dad ever did anything bad before you met your mom? So what would have happened during that time before your dad met your mom if somebody had pushed a button and got rid of everything and everyone who did something bad? Would you be here right now? What about me? And maybe that would end the, conversa end the conversation. But if the conversation does continue, then there's something that you should know as a Christian. If you, you know, if you have good reason, if you have good reason not to do away with everything bad, is it possible that God has a reason too? Is it possible that God has a reason too? It, you know, just think about it. Before you press that button, if you would hesitate at that moment to get rid of everything bad in this world, is it possible that God has a reason to hesitate as well? I mean, you have a reason not to do with everything bad, right? So is it possible that God has a reason too? Because here's the thing, as followers of Jesus, we believe God does have a reason. In fact, Christians have always believed that you and I, we are the reason. We are the reason. The reason that God doesn't suddenly get rid of evil in the world is the same reason I don't want to get rid of evil in the world. Because I would have to get rid of everyone I've ever met. I would have to get rid of everybody I know. And I would have to get rid of me. And there's a letter in the New Testament that tells us that God is patient with evil. And not only that, but he is just as heartbroken. That he is just as sick to his stomach over evil in the world as we are. But there's a reason. There's a reason he waits, just like we have a reason to hesitate. Just like you and I would hesitate before pressing that button, there's a reason God doesn't just wipe out everything that is bad. And the reason is you. You know, I don't know why you're here today and I don't know what you're going through, but I want you to know God considered you valuable enough to not just end everything right now. He loves you that much. The reason he doesn't do away with everything bad is you. And you. And you. And the Apostle Peter wrote something so mind-blowing, mind-blowingly powerful in the second letter that he wrote, and I want to share it with you. He says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, and we'll, we'll get to the promise a little bit, but he's, God's not being slow as you think. You think he's, God, why aren't you doing something about this? Look, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He's being patient for you. Isn't that awesome? In other words, the thing that you would like to see happen in the world, God would like to see that happen as well. I mean, God is just as disturbed as you are by all the injustice and all the bad things that happen every day. You haven't pointed out anything that is going on in the world where God is going, oh, I just, I didn't see that. You haven't pointed out anything that's going on where he says, man, if I had only known that was going to happen. 
what we need to understand is that God, in his greatness, he knows, he feels, and he experiences our pain. That he has entered into our pain through his son, Jesus Christ. Yet the reason he doesn't do anything about it is because he's patient with you. And he's patient with me. Don't we have an amazing God? Man, God is so good. And he goes on to say, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. What an amazing God. So you see, I know the, the whole evil in the world thing and injustice, but if you could just push a button and get rid of all the things bad in the world at one time, would you push it? And if we're really being honest, I think me and you, we would hesitate. We would hesitate to push that button. So if we could hesitate to push that button, then is it possible that God has a reason to hesitate as well? And those who follow Jesus believe that God does have a reason, and that reason is you this morning. Now, you're probably thinking, Mike, am I really supposed to remember everything that you just said? No, all you got to remember is, have you ever read anything on that topic? That's all you got to remember, okay? But here's the thing that, you know, and this is so important, what we're going to get into right now. But here's the thing. Everything I've been saying up to now, really it, it points to a level of hypocrisy when it comes to complaining about evil in the world. No matter who you are, whether you're a Christian or not, there is a level of hypocrisy when we complain about evil in the world. And the easiest way to see that hypocrisy is this. You see, when you have a problem, I pray for you. When I have a problem, I doubt God. The only time I doubt God over other people's problems is when it's people I care about. When it's people that I care about and the people that I love. I mean, something bad happens to you and it's like, oh, I hate that. Let's pray for her. But it doesn't hurt my faith. I mean, as a matter of fact, I'm even praying for you, but the same thing happens to me or someone close to me, and it's like, God, how can you do this to me? What is that? That's the hypocrisy in me. That's me wanting to get all the evil that affects me personally. But if it affects you, then I'm so sorry. I really am. In fact, I'm going to write you a note, and I'm going to pray for you. But when it affects me, I doubt God. So here's what it really comes down to. And here's what it really comes to in our heart. Okay, I got a little illustration for you guys this morning. I like this. What we really want is a can of justice. This is what we want. Let me shake this up really good, really quick. What we really want is a can of, uh, of justice, okay? And when and we want a can of justice, and wherever we see injustice, we just, we spray it. We get rid of it. Right? We want a can of justice. You know, you mistreat ch children, away with you. I get rid of you, I spray you. Right? You know, all the people that work for the IRS that don't pay taxes, I'm spraying you. Get rid of them. Where I see injustice, I want to get my injustice can and I want to control it. It smells good. Justice smells good, by the way. Doesn't it? So this is what I want. I want a can of justice. And where I see injustice, by the way, I measure injustice. I want to be able to spray it. Isn't that what we want? And then there's something else we want, too. We want a can of bad spray, right? We want a can 
of bad spray. And whenever you see something bad, you just spray it and get rid of it. Anybody that abuses somebody, just spray them. Anybody that is involved in sex trafficking, you spray them. In fact, we double spray those people, right? <laughs> now here's my point. The key is I want to hold the cans. I want to hold the cans. I don't want you to hold the cans, and you want to know why I don't want you to hold the cans? Because you just might decide to spray me. Because I have been unjust. And I have been a bad person. And I have sinned against people. And I have hurt people that I love. And if I don't want you to hold the cans, let me tell you who we really don't want to get hold of these bad boys. Who's that? God. I mean, what if God had these? I mean, let me just ask you a question, some, some audience participation, okay? If you've ever done anything unjust, would you please raise your hand? Okay. That's just a warm-up, okay. <laughs> if you've ever done anything bad in your whole life, would you please raise your hand? Okay, hands down. Isn't that what we want? Don't we want control of the cans? And if we think something is unjust, then we'll spray it, but we don't want God to do this, and here's why. You know, we may want aerosol, you know, goodness, and we want aerosol justice, right? But we don't really want to get rid of everything unjust because that just might get a little bit too personal for you and me. And we don't want to get rid of everything bad in the world because we might be the first people to disappear, right? Now, this is true for all of us, but again, there's a little element of hypocrisy. There's a little element in which I'm really trying to set myself up as God because I'm deciding what is good, and you're deciding what is not just. Now, as bad as that all may sound, everything I have been saying points to two very important assumptions, two really important assumptions. But number one, check this out, certain things are not as they should be. Like, we know this in our heart, right? The fact that, that you want to have a can of this and you want to have, have a can of that, it, it's really evidence of the fact that you and I know that things are not as they should be. That in the deepest parts of our heart, we know that things are not right. But this whole thing points to a second assumption, and that is that the world is broken. The world is broken. And not just human beings, but the whole world. Earthquakes. Tornadoes, tsunamis, cancer, brain tumors, the world is broken. And we recognize that. That's why we would love a can of justice because it's not right for innocent people to suffer. And it's just not right that people going about their business are suddenly swept away by a tornado or a tsunami. There's something in us that says this shouldn't be happening. Something is wrong with the world. Something is wrong with me. I can't even keep my own rules. Something is wrong with me. I can't even keep the law even though I agree with the law. What is wrong with me? I am broken. And the world is broken. But here's the thing that you need to know if you're a Christian. If you are not a Christian, here's the thing I hope that you will really think about this morning. The world is broken and we recognize that. But Christians have always believed since Jesus walked on this earth 
that the current world is not the final version. That this current world that we live in right now, it's not the final one. Okay? That the current world, you know, in fact, you know, in fact, over and over again, Jesus talked about this idea of the kingdom of heaven. Maybe you've read that. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. You've heard Jesus talk about that. The apostle Paul talked about that. Peter talked about that. You know, the book of Revelations points towards that. Christians have always believed that the world did not start off broken. That the world was broken when God handed it off to humanity. And he gave us the freedom to choose. That this world is not the original version and that this world is definitely not the ultimate version. But Christians have also always believed that the current world is the best path to the best possible world. What do I mean by that? That the current world with all the problems, all the dysfunction, all the things that we wish we could change is actually the best possible path to the best possible world. Because you know what the best possible world is? You want to know? The best possible world is where both men and women are free to sin, but freely choose not to. The best possible world is where there is the knowledge of good and evil, but you choose freely not to engage in self-destructive behavior. You know, the best possible world is where we continue to freely choose to love and worship and serve and do all the things that make the world a better place, but we have the power to freely choose. Freely to say no to things that are bad. That's the best possible world. You know, when I was 10 years old, uh, you know, I remember my, about 9 or 10 years old, my dad bought me my uh, first set of golf clubs. It was about, you know, those sets that you get at like Target or Walmart, about five clubs, right? And uh, I think it was something that we were just kind of getting into together uh, for, you know, father-son bonding. And um, I was really excited. I remember really like enjoying playing golf. And I enjoyed it so much that usually, like a lot of times after school, you know, on the front lawn, I would, you know, be swinging my golf clubs, working on my swing, you know, because I'm going pro. And um, I would, you know, do that. And I'm sure my dad appreciated it with all the grass chunks being taken out, right, in our front lawn. But um, I remember one specific day, this one day after school, we were, me and one of my friends were playing out front. And uh, we were just, you know, taking swings with the clubs and, you know, just being kids. And uh, my friend, I remember his name, his name was Nick Rosen. He, he had my club, and uh, he was getting ready to swing. And uh, he, was, he swung the, the club like a baseball bat. But the thing is, I was standing about two feet behind him. And so when he swung that club, I got connected right here into my eye. I mean, it busted open my face. I remember my mom coming out, and she was just like, ah, like, what's going on? I'm, like, bleeding to death on my front lawn, and she, you know, my dad's at work. We, she had our, my infant sister at the time, and, you know, she had this little Honda Prelude with two doors, and I'm just, like, laying in the back, dying of the car, you know? And uh, we went to the hospital, everything, you know, I got stitches, and it, it was, I had an eye patch for, like, two months on my eye. Um, but because my, my dad is a good dad, and he's a good parent. You know, when we got home from the hospital, my dad said, I want you to go to your room right now. And I want you to write out a hundred times, I will not stand behind someone when they're swinging a golf club. <laughs> In fact, you can never golf again. 
No, my dad didn't say that. <laughs> Do you think my dad had to say anything about not standing behind someone swinging a golf club ever again? <laughs> Do you think I learned that lesson on my own? Yeah. I learned that lesson on my own. Now imagine a world where you knew the consequences and the pain and the suffer, suffering associated with sin. Imagine a world that was re-given to you and me, but this time we have the experience of the consequences of good and evil. That is the best possible world. And Christians have always believed that the current world isn't the final version, but it is the best possible way to the best possible world. Now maybe you've never heard that before in your life, and that's because somehow this teaching has drifted off front and center. But here's how the Apostle Paul uh, says it in Romans, and, and I'm going to be winding down my message here, and I got something special for you as we close. But look what he says here in Romans. I'm going to get excited right now. Seriously, this is good stuff. Don't miss it. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Look what Paul says. That's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times. You know, you need to know that Paul was not unacquainted with suffering. And if you're someone who has just dismissed Christianity because how could God exist in the midst of such a, of a, an evil world, do you understand that those who have followed Jesus and have carried the gospel forward have always suffered? They are no strangers to suffering. I mean, at the very core, at the very center of what we believe, our Messiah entered in on purpose to extreme suffering and never lost faith in the Father. So that's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. Hey, guess what? Don't get too comfortable because there's coming good times. And this isn't the final version. So don't, don't get too comfortable with this life that you have right now because there's another one coming. Verse 19. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Oh my gosh. What he's saying, it's like all creation knows that this isn't the way it's supposed to be. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. This isn't the way it should be. This wasn't the way it was designed or created to be. The created world itself, the world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. And what he is saying is that there's something that's going to happen. That this isn't our final resting place. That this, this isn't even the way that God wanted it to be. And it goes on in verse 20. Everything in creation is being more or less hold, held back. You see, when man sinned, everything under man's authority suffered. It wasn't fair. But it's true. You understand this. Some of you have suffered because of the decisions your parents made when you were kids. And it wasn't fair, but it's true. It wasn't fair that when I was four years old, when I was three years old, that my mom, it seemed that seemingly every time I woke up, my mom was, was gone. It's not fair that every time I, I woke up, I seemed like the people that I thought loved me were always trying to get away from me. And I would wake up by myself, literally by myself. It's not fair, but it's true. It's not fair that, that I had to grow, raise that way for the first couple of years of my life, feeling like, why doesn't anybody want me? It's not fair. But it's true. Some of you are more likely to get certain illnesses because of who you're related to. And it's not fair. But it's true. 
Some of you, you know, in, in the same way, Christians have always believed that when man took possession of this earth, when sin, you know, entered the world, it entered the entire world when we sin. And that's why we know it's broken, because there's a huge part of God's image left over in our hearts. So good. We know that something is wrong. We know that it should be better. We know that there is a way forward, and Paul said that all of creation is leaning in that direction. Isn't that incredible? Everything. It's like there's this anticipation. Look what he says in verse, at the, in verse 21. God reigns it in until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. I'm like, I feel it inside of me right now. I feel the joyful anticipation. I just wanted to continue reading. All around us we observe, look at this, all around us we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's within us. He's saying, look, it's not only around you. Not, as, not only is everybody else feeling like, man, things are not as they should be. But inside of our hearts, we know things are not as they should be and that this world is broken the Spirit of God is arousing us within. His God, it's His Spirit that's within us that's going, you know this isn't, the, this isn't the final version. There's something better. We're also feeling the birth pangs. He goes on, these sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. Don't really understand that physically. But we are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become, and the more joyful our expectancy. Wow. There's something that's amazing that's going to happen. Like I said, don't get too comfortable. Because this ain't the final one. There's something good, something way better that is coming. Now, here's what you need to know as I close out. And this isn't, in, in, this isn't an emotionally satisfying Answer, but you see, there is no emotionally satisfying answer for pain and suffering. There's no, no answer that once you hear it, you go, okay, well, I'm okay with children suffering. Oh, well, I'm okay with brain tumors and cancer. There is no emotionally satisfying answer to pain. And you know why? Because there's enough God's image left in you that is dissatisfied and will always be dissatisfied when innocent people suffer. That's the image of God in you. And it's proof that there is a God in the universe, that there is a God has the ability to have a personal relationship and interaction with you. And at this time, I want to invite a couple up to the stage, Michael and Jennifer Agabau. And uh, as many of you may know, Michael and Jen, uh, a few years ago, their daughter had passed away. And they're going to share their story with you right now. And so I want you to give them a warm welcome as they come up here on the stage. of you know we've been blessed with two wonderful kids Katrina and Jared and as some of you know both of our kids have vancone anemia 
It's a rare genetic disease that predisposes to bone marrow, bone marrow failure and cancer. Having been there to witness the birth of my 10 nieces and nephews, I can't deny a point in my life when I started questioning God why my kids have all these health challenges. Is it because of all the sins that I've done? But as Christians, we know that the Bible is clear when it says that our children do not bear responsibility for our sins. Things just happen, whether you've been good or a bad person. Raising two kids with special needs, it was tough for us. Um, it got even tougher when Kitchina was diagnosed with, with leukemia when she was three years old. She endured two years of chemo and underwent a bone marrow transplant. It was heartbreaking to see the effects these treatments had on her fragile body. But it was even more painful to see her pass away before her very eyes. It's been three years now since Katrina died, and I'd say this has been the most difficult, painful, and challenging times of our lives. With our hearts shattered into pieces caused by grief, we barely stayed afloat to keep our family together. There were times when we wanted to give up, to give up, and I personally wanted to focus on my own pain. But somehow, some way, by God's grace, he's, been, he's surrounded us with family and friends who have helped us cope with the pain. He's been blessed me with sisters who have helped, helped me stay faithful through these past years. Our son Jared, he just turned seven two weeks ago, and it's a miracle that he's been helped with this, you know, thus far. Because you see, the recent data for the type of Fanconi anemia that our kids have indicate that there's a 97% probability of death before the age of seven. Each morning I wake up, I'm reminded of Katrina's absence in our lives, but above all, praying and hoping that it would not be the day that our son Jared is stricken with cancer. It's a daily surrender to the will of our Father, which always brings me back to the cross. As Jesus wrestled with God and praise before going to the cross, so I wrestled with having to go through this pain all over again. One of my favorite scriptures says in James chapter 1, verse 12 says, Blessed is he who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Katrina has received her crown. Through her sufferings, God's glory was revealed. Young in years, yet mature in her faith, her faith was so unwavering. 
And as Christians, um, we're not promised of a life without trials. But through Jesus, surrendering to the will of his Father, he died on the cross so that we may live forever for eternity. To God be the glory. Amen. Um, I'm going to lead us to a communion. Communion is about remembering what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has done for us. You know, last night I had um, news that uh, my aunt uh, passed away. The woman who adop adopted me and took care of me. Uh, most of you don't know that I grew up in a convent until I was two years old. And if it weren't for my aunt, I would be a nun by now. <laughs> you know, uh, I will be flying to the Philippines tomorrow. Uh, please uh, pray for a safe trip that I may boldly bring um, a message of hope. You know, last time I went, I preached to a small Christian church, and they called me Pastor Mike. You know how uh, sinful I am. But um, um, uh, let's turn our Bibles to Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 to 13. And just uh, stay there. Uh, take note of the title, The Heavenly Warrior Defeats the Beast. You know, there's a spiritual battle. You know, uh, once I engage, I know there's going to be a spiritual battle again. And uh, this is so evident in my life right now. You know, God has only one requirement for entrance in heaven, that we may be, uh, be clothed in Christ. Listen how Jesus described the inhabitants of the earth. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, it says, The one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge the name before my Father and his angels. Listen to the descriptions of the elders in Revelation chapter 4, verse 4. It says, round the throne, there were 24 other thrones with 24 elders sitting on them. They were dressed in white and had golden crowns on their heads. And in Revelation chapter 19, verse 14, uh, it describes the clothing of the angels. It says, the armies of the heaven dressed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. All are dressed in white, the saints, the elders, the armies. How would you suppose Jesus is dressed? In white? Well, we, we, we think so. Of all the people worthy to wear the spotless robe, Christ is. But according to the Bible, he doesn't. Now let us all read Revelation 19, 11 to 13. It says, I saw in heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and in his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the Word of God. Why is Christ's robe not white? Why is his garment dipped in blood? Let us remember what Jesus did for us in Galatians chapter 3 verse 13. Paul simply said, he changed places with us. This is our communion. This is our confidence. He did more than remove our coat. He put on our coat. He wore our coat of sin to the cross. He died, and, and as he died, his blood flowed over our sins. They were cleansed by his blood, and because of this, Christ brings us to heaven. And we have no fear of being turned away from the door. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. With Jesus called, he is called the heavenly warrior. He has fought our wars. In the future, we will be victorious. We are victorious right now. Amen.
The reason I wanted Michael and Jennifer to tell their story is because they have to live with that pain every day. And I know that you also have seen bad things to happen to good people. But here is their hope and here is our hope. Where's my remote? Oh. Can we switch back to the keynote, please? In Revelations 22:20, 20, it's the last verse of the Bible. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. We may be going through a hard time in our life right now, but come, Lord Jesus. That is our hope. So in summary, as we close out this series, before I pray for communion, the short answer that I want to give you today would go something like this. If God removed evil from the world, he would have to begin with me. But I believe that God entered this world through his son to forgive me rather than remove me. To forgive me rather than remove me. I believe Jesus died for my sin and rose from the dead, but I don't believe it because the Bible says so. It's better than that. And in the meantime, I will continue to pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. And man, I'm just, thank you so much for the courage that, of Michael and Jennifer to share their story. And um, God, we, you know, for many of us in this room, I don't know what we're going through or what we've been through in our life, but God, I pray that we can sit here this morning and really see you through all these challenges. That we, God, we would know and that we would put our hope in the fact that this is not our final world but that we will see you again, that we will see Jesus coming again, that Michael and Jennifer will get to see their daughter again one day in heaven, and that is our hope, Father. Let us never forget. And I pray, God, that you would move in our hearts today. Whatever is holding us back, I pray that we would let it go and give it all to you. Father, we love you so much. It's in Jesus' name, amen.